Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cloud-Based Mayhem. I thought that music, a little classical version of the Pixies' Where Is My Mind, uh, those of you who uh, enjoyed Fight Club, I thought that was pretty uh, applicable to today because uh, your mind is going to be blown after hearing this story by Paul Guschelbauer about his overland expedition flying a bush plane with his wife from the northern tip of Alaska to the southern tip of South America. Uh, that all started, uh, I don't take any credit for this whatsoever, but uh, i tell you a little backstory. So back in 2009 or 10, can't remember, I think 10, 2010, um, was sailing from Mozambique down South Africa, down the East Coast, around Cape of Good Hope uh, with a buddy, Jake, uh, who's a bush pilot up in Alaska. It was just the two of us. Uh, that part of the world is uh, even more famous than Cape Horn for shipwrecks. Uh, you get this super strong northerly current coming out of the Mozambique Channel, and you get these southwest busters that come up from uh, Antarctica and huge seas, very, very commonly get more than 80-foot seas there. Uh, lots and lots of shipwrecks because there's not a lot of places to hide. Uh, you got, you know, like Durban and East London and a few ports, but anyway, pretty harrowing trip, uh, big, big seas, a lot of wind, and uh, Jake was sicker than a dog. He was really suffering. He's a bush pilot up in Alaska, not really a mariner, and uh, but he was an awesome uh, co-pilot there and great crew member, and then we spent some time in Cape Town and then continued on up to the Cape Verdes. Uh, he was with me for that whole time, and uh, we talked a lot about big plans and big adventures and, uh, you know, dreams on that trip because we had a lot of weeks together uh, just isolated on a sailboat and and he talked about flying a bush plane from Alaska down to South America and I kept encouraging him. I was like dude you got to do that that just sounds amazing oh my god what a sick trip and then uh, fast forward a whole bunch of years and Paul Guschelbauer and I got to know each other uh, in the 2015 X-Alps and uh, and then when I started thinking about the Alaska project I'd been thinking about it at that point for many years but looking for a partner. Some of you have heard this story, but I uh, was really wanting to do it with Paul and we weren't able to do that because of Red Bull in a weird way. That's another story. But uh, that winter, he started telling me about, you know, that he was getting his, you know, small pilot's license. And I was like, what are you in Austria? Why would you No, You can't do it there, man. You got to do it in Alaska. Anyway, you guys have heard this story. Uh, I introduced him to Ken, who was my kind of fixer and the bush pilot, our main support for the Alaska project. And he was the guy that was flying around the crew, uh, the film crew. And Paul did a lot of flying, but he had just basically just gotten his sign off right before that project started. By the end of the project, he had like more than 300 hours. And this whole dream of Jake's fly from the northern tip of Alaska down to the southern tip of South America really took hold with Paul. And uh, then he got married and I'll let him tell you the rest of the story. Uh, but your mind is going to be blown. What an amazing adventure adventure and journey. And uh, I think they flew through 13 countries, but I'll let him tell you all that. So uh, prepare to be wowed. This is uh, not much of a paragliding story, but certainly ties into paragliding and ties into just freedom and just 
bitchin' adventure. Uh, super cool. Very, very, very inspiring. Uh, I'm pretty envious. Uh, on the last show, I mentioned a little bit of housekeeping here for a bit. On the last show, I mentioned uh, that we are leaving Patreon. That is happening. I appreciate all your feedback. Everybody was pretty psyched about that, and everybody said they'd switch over that I heard from. So, haven't had time to do that. We just uh, did a big mission out to Santa Barbara. I'm out here for a month to train, so uh, I've been kind of busy dealing with snow at home. We've had a massive February and then uh, getting the family out here to Santa Barbara to train for a month. So I haven't had time to switch us over and have the whole subscription service on the website and everything, but uh, that will happen shortly. Those of you who are on Patreon, just stick with it for a bit and uh, we'll get that switched over. So I'll announce how that's all happening in a in a future podcast. Um, the other bit of news I forgot to tell you about last time, uh, when I was down in Columbia, uh, spent quite a bit of time with Hugh Miller. Uh, I've done quite a bit of stuff over the years with Cross Country Magazine and, and Ed Ewing. And uh, they're pretty psyched to be the publisher of the book. We've been talking about doing this for a while. Once we get to 100 episodes of the podcast, we're going to do a kind of a Tools of Titans book uh, about the podcast. So each each chapter will be broken down into certain categories like risk and safety and all the things we talk about on the show and kind of have uh, you know whoever's really tapped that topic the best, uh, and probably multiple per chapter, but try to put it together in a really organized way so it'd be a you know very good instructional book, uh, kind of the best of the best from the podcast. So once we get to 100 episodes, which will be by my math right after the X-Alps, which will be perfect, I'll need some time to unplug and uh, just rest and recover. So that'll be about when I'm writing that, and hopefully we'll get it out in kind of early 2020. So uh, psych that cross country is taking that on. Uh, we're kind of all dialed in for that. And, uh, you know, they're obviously really good at publishing. So I'll hand that off to them. But uh, so stay tuned. Uh, oh, reminder too that many of you ask about the music on the show. They, that like that, where is my mind that, that opened this one? Uh, you can find the Spotify playlist for all the music we have on here on uh, just do a search for cloud-based mayhem or go on the website class cloud-based and you'll find that spotify link that is it for housekeeping uh psyched to be out here in santa barbara i'll be taking doing a couple shows live over the next few weeks here uh with people that are flying around this part of the world and i've got a whole bunch of great stuff lined up with uh maxine bellaman who just wrote that great book performance flying and uh a whole bunch of other great guests coming up so uh keep your ears tuned to future podcasts and enjoy this amazing talk with Paul Guschebauer about the uh, his overland expedition with Magdalena, his wife, and a little bit at the end about the X-Alps. little teaser. Enjoy. Paul, uh, I am super stoked to have you on the show to talk about this thing. I was following you, of course, on Instagram the whole way down there and uh, I've actually kind of felt like I had a little bit invested in this because, uh, you know, your friend Jake and I spent a lot of time on my boat years ago, uh, sailing from South Africa, from Cape Town up to the Cape Verdes. And this was kind of his dream. And then you guys, you know, then this all came together a few years later for you. And so, uh, just must be totally thrilling. I thought where we might start, uh, that makes sense is just to describe for those that, didn't watch you, which I can't imagine. Uh, I think everybody did, but for those that didn't see what you've just completed, um, give us the kind of resume version of, of what you did and then we'll, we'll go from there. Okay. Well, 
Um, hi, Gavin. I'm happy to, to talk to you and to, to tell you a little bit about that uh, project that I did. Um, it's already my second time on, the, on your show, which is great. I'm, I'm happy to see how it develops. It's really cool. It's good for, for every pilot that you're doing this. It's really a, a positive thing. Back to the uh, project. Well, it was a little bit a different different kind of idea. Um, and the idea was to um, use my little Piper Super Cup, which is a, a bush plane, and um, which is um, built and designed in the in the 40s, 30s, 40s um, of the last century. And <laughs> so it's very old plane, very slow plane, and fly it from the most northern um, tip of Alaska down to Patagonia. Um, so all the length of North and South America. Following the mountains, of course, like there's lots of mountains in Alaska and then there's the Rockies and then um, the Andes start at some point. So it's it's a very mountainous project as well, mountain flying project. And of course, I brought two paragliders with me, a little bit of mountaineering, uh, mountain running stuff. And my motivation was to just discover cool places on the way. And were you, uh, you know, I, I know the answer to this, but you were with Magdalena for the whole thing or just part of it? Or how, how, how did you work that out? Because it's, and also describe the plane a little bit more. I think people need to understand why you chose the Super Cub um, and what you can bring in it. I've spent a lot of time in a Super Cub. They're pretty small. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, the two questions and the answers. The, um Actually, the, the real answer, if I think about it, is for both questions the same. It's uh, it's what I had and what I could afford to bring along, and it was both perfect. I would say <laughs> Magdalena and the Cub. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of of weirdness in that answer, but also a lot of truth. Um, it's very very hard to understand for people if they hear airplane flying from north to south america it's not like you it's like not the same understanding like you have yeah because you have been in a super cup people think of airplane the minimum like the smallest they think of is a cessna there is no, nothing smaller than that right. so but what they usually think of is like a, a little ear chat <laughs> <laughs> just, just look out at the clouds and <laughs> and then you land on a nice yeah, runway exactly. and <laughs> <laughs> after after yeah, a four yeah, hour nap, asked this because they didn't see our plane. They said like, "Oh, are you going to stop anywhere in the on on the way still before you going down to Australia?" <laughs> <laughs> Probably yes. <laughs> ah, it's so funny. I remember being with Ken uh, up in Alaska one time, and he was like. You know, these a lot of the, these bush pilots are cruising around at like five thousand feet. What the fuck are they doing up there? All the stuff, all everything is down on the ground. You know, you never want you never want to be a hundred more than a hundred feet off the ground. You know, and I, I, I remember flying with him, just getting a whole new appreciation. Like you're you're flying on the ground all the time. You that's where you see stuff. You know, why would you go any higher than that? And he always talks. He always makes fun of all those guys up there. Like what what the fuck are they doing up there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I totally wanted, wanted to do that. And I tried to do that as much as I could, but of course some regulations and sure. some, some things, um, I couldn't do it. But, uh, so the cup is the, the plane that I, I bought 
two years ago in Alaska, and it's a it's an Alaskan typical Alaskan bush plane. It's it's small, but it's very robust. It can go to places that you couldn't even think of that an airplane could land because it has big tires, strong gear. Um, but yeah, on the other hand, it flies very slow because if something flies slow, it, it lands short usually. And, um, it's for, for its size, it doesn't, it, it carries quite a lot of weight, but, um, on the other hand, it's not a lot of weight that it <laughs> can carry. Um, uh, it's, it's basically me and Magdalena, my wife, who I will just, who we'll talk about in a second. Um, and then we could bring, <clears throat> if we had full main fuel tanks, uh, besides that we were allowed like legally to bring around 20 to 30 kilograms, which is like a hundred pounds <laughs> extra weight. So, um, besides that, we, we couldn't always only fly with the main tanks full. So we had, and I had another double set of the same tanks again. And if we filled all those up, we were of course way over the maximum weight from the beginning on without even putting any weight in it. So it was always a big, big challenge of, of, of weight and, um, yeah, uh, a lot of weight makes also a plane not fly that good anymore, but that didn't matter. Sometimes I was not always uh, pushing the limits, but, um, the other, the other thing that's even more important, I think is that, yeah, I did it with Magdalena, my wife. Um, we, it was great that we did it together. Um, many people might think, yeah, oh, you're going a big, big adventure and you, <laughs> you're doing this in a small plane. How could you hang out with your wife all the time? Um, I think we just saw it as a real a project, um, like a, a work. Um, and it was a long project, six months. It was only the time that we were really traveling. There was two months of preparations before. And, uh, I think, um, in the end, if I would have done that in any different way, our relationship would maybe not even exist anymore. <laughs> and like this, it's, it's even, it's even better than it was before. And it was really challenging for both of us, but yeah, it was, it was the perfect, perfect, uh, way to do this because uh, we will go, we'll get to that point that, uh, money was a big issue as a paragliding pilot to, to fly um, a plane down to South America is not something you would easily think about, but, um, like that, um, doing this with my wife, of course, that saved a lot of money too. And yeah, in the end it was just perfect. Talk, talk about some of the challenges and, and then it, 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 I'm, I'm trying not to ask two questions at a time, but I keep doing it. Um, how much did it cost for the whole project? If you could shed some light on that, cause I'd be fascinated. I know you burn, is it, what is it? Is it 55, five gallons an hour? How, how much, how much fuel do you burn? So how much fuel did you burn on the whole project and, and what does that cost? Um, well, this is a very sensible, uh, sensitive point. The whole, the whole fuel spending and money spending thing. I've, I've learned that on the way as well, especially with paragliding pilots and especially with not us paragliding pilots <laughs> because um <laughs> citizens maybe they're more uh, used to 
big trucks and stuff like this but there is also a big group of people out there that think um that it's very uneconomic to fly an old airplane around um especially as a paragliding pilot who likes to fly without any uh wasting any energy and waste and putting out a lot of um uh how do you say uh, gases yeah yeah <laughs> Um, atmosphere but um so yeah to to come to the facts we i spent around seven gallons um, per hour and if you do a little bit of math uh, behind that um, it comes down to the same pretty much the same um, amount of fuel that i use for uh per per mile um the fuel how do you say that in english mileage yeah miles um, per gallon like normal car um mm. so looking at it like this it wasn't that bad <laughs> yeah. of an impact um we all travel and if we travel with big jets we even make a lot worse um sure. thing to the to the environment um but but back to the numbers um i spent in the end around i guess it was around 12 to fourteen thousand dollars on fuel on that trip Wow, but, that's way um, less than I thought it would be. Huh. Cool. Yeah, it was not it was not that bad. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, but there's one thing that that always that is very important like anybody who is listening to that um should and if he if he has a a, a globus, how do you call that a um globus in English? Globus? Global? Maybe. Glo you global know, the world map that you have. Oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. Looks like a world. A globe, yep. Um, you should take that and, and just have a look at what we did, um, on that, uh, Globus, because, um, that is the only way I figured, uh, that you can really see how big this distance is. Like it's incredible far <laughs> looking, if you're looking at the whole world. Um, so yeah, that, uh, looking at it like this, it wasn't that bad of an expense. Of course, I had to, to buy the plane at some point. I had to, um, build it, like rebuild things, uh, put the right instruments in to be able to fly in all through all those air spaces and, um, have the right equipment to be safe on a trip like this. Paul, what, what was the total distance you flew? Cause it wasn't just, you know, you didn't just start at the Northern tip and go to the Southern tip in a straight line. You know, you, you, you had a really, really good adventure and, you know, you came here in Sun Valley and we paraglided for a week and then you went to Burning Man and, you know, you, you hopped around and really tried to see a lot of places in that six months. So what was the distance? What was the, do you have all that? Do you have those statistics? Um, I have it, uh, an estimate in my, my, in my head right now, but, um, uh, I wouldn't like say, okay, that's the exact number, yeah. but the, the direct line, um, let's start from there, from Barrow, Alaska to Ushuaia uh, in Argentina is, uh, 18,000 kilometers. So that would probably be 13, 14,000 miles or something like that. Gosh. And, uh, we almost followed that basic line i would say i mean of course there was a little bit of um like going back and forth but but the only real um like not going out going out of the of the straight line was basically going to colorado to telluride and then going back out to california and by reno it was the only 
um, this this Asian um, kind of. Um, otherwise, we went straight down, and then what we did, we went um, like a third of South America back up to um, park land and park the plane at uh, Andy Hediger's, um little airport in La, Crum La Cumbre, close to Cordoba. So I would say it was a total of 24, 25,000 kilometers. Wow. In six months, I need my calculator. So what about, about, about what distance would you do every day? Yeah, we, we tried to like, if we went, uh, flying again, we did like four to in South America, a little longer, but four to six hour flights. Um, so that's, that's up to 800 kilometers. Um, yeah, 500 miles, I would okay. say average 500, a little bit more. Um, so this is what we, what we tried to do if we really want to get, going um to the next place and it is it is kind of a challenge to to know okay when if you want to really get down there <laughs> you have to go at some point <laughs> because so many places are so tempting to to stay and enjoy and get in deeper into the country and like uh, like get to know the people better and and you find a perfect flying spot you want to go fly there all day long i mean it's a it's a compromise it's always a compromise if you if you look at all those places that are on the way through all north and south america you could spend a lifetime just checking them out i mean you know it from sailing around the world so many times you could do that forever as well i guess you could just like okay this is a cool place you i really want to get to know it i'm gonna stay here for for two months and then move on or something like this um so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a balance between, I want to really want to get this done. I want to reach my goal and not to get lost in, in like just the, the adventure on um, certain places. Now that you're, you're done and we're going way off my planned route here with questions, but that's just fascinating yeah. to me because I, I, I think of it as a lot like sailing, you know, it's, is what I learned sailing was that you know, that the only speed that it was reasonable to do it at was very, very slowly. You know, when I hear people say, okay, I'm going to circumnavigate in two years, I, I say, God, you're going to miss everything. You know, that's, no, that's, that that's, that's not nearly enough time. In, in retrospect now, after you and Magdalena are home and you've parked the plane, do you wish you would have taken more time or was it really, I mean, I know a big part of that was just the economics. Definitely economics was a big part of it, but I think, um, for this trip, I would not take more time. It was just right because um, right now I'm kind of like, I can't even, how do I say? I mean, you either take five years or you do it in half a year. I think that's like yeah. <laughs> the only ways to do it right. because um, now I'm back and I, I, I had, I, we focused on getting to the goal. I mean, this was a project was for me to make this happen, you know, and um and this is what I achieved. And, um, I, d I didn't want to just travel. It was not just only a, a travel and enjoy project. It was really, um, I really also wanted to challenge myself and I really, on every aspect, I went to the, to my personal, like maximum performance that I, <laughs> I could 
do. I mean, it, it, many people told me, well, how was the holidays for six months, you know? <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's just not Paul Gershbauer. They don't know you. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of happy that they got this impression because it, it seems that I made good photos yeah. <laughs> or something. They were amazing. <laughs> but uh, for me personally, it was really challenging. I mean, only one, or I can give you many examples, but one is also, you know, that combination of of trying to, to fly a paraglider wherever I go on uh, a mm, higher level than just flying down a mountain and um and then on like the next day flying to a completely unknown place that i've never heard of before that i have to prepare really in detail to focus on on the route on on um, i don't know the weather like everything um it's really it's challenging you know that one example is definitely when we arrived at your place in Idaho, uh, like you, you wrote me that message that this is the day of the, the, the cross country day of the year. And we, we're going to fly 200 kilometer triangle <laughs> the next day. And I was just, like for the first time in my life, flying that little airplane through the, through the high mountains of Idaho, the back country, when it was super hot every day. And it was a lot of things for me to learn, like, you know, with that airplane you when it's super hot you don't get you don't easily fly over six seven eight thousand feet you know <laughs> and that was a big challenge and the next day i arrived there and you're you're at six in the, or seven in the morning you're just let's go the, flying we're going we're going for the cross-country triangle you you have to be ready and <laughs> i had no idea where i am what what's going on is 5,000 meters and <laughs> or whatever it was that that was the big challenge of it it was a lot a lot of of things in what well, in a half a year for sure yeah I mean so we're I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about some of those scary moments and the biggest challenges and stuff but if we if we re, and that was uh, that was an amazing day here you know that was the best day of the year we had that's why I was so excited that morning I was like we got to go man we got to go that was really incredible what a day but uh, when you think you know when when you came up and supported uh, Dave and I on the Alaska project you know that spring you were really just getting into flying as as I understand you know you're just really learning. Uh, that was 2016. And then you just bit off something that I think most bush pilots would, you know, maybe dream of, uh, but, you know, most obviously have, will will never do it. Um, you know, what was, before you and Magdalena set off from Ken's house uh, last June, what were the biggest fears? You know, what were the biggest kind of like trepidation about the whole thing? Was it mechanical? Was it personal? Was it, uh, just the unknown of like, you know, I mean, I, I think of all the things that I just don't have a clue about. Like, I mean, I do from a boat standpoint, I, I don't know how they change with a boat, with a plane, but like borders and, you know, the drug problems in Mexico, whatever. What, what, what was it that was kind of like, Ooh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, there was so much like uh, free, actually exact, pretty much exactly three and a half years ago, I got my pilot's license, my private pilot's license. And then I, first I wanted to get into aerobatics. So I did aerobatics lessons right away. But then I figured that at first I have to learn 
just basic flying and fly a lot of hours. So I was looking for the perfect place to do that. And that's why, I, why because of you, you helped me a lot with that. I got to know Ken and flew there with you. And, and this was my, my first real, like lots of hours that I could collect flying. I had no idea about bush flying <laughs> at all, but, uh, Ken obviously he taught me a lot. Uh, taught me a lot of things. Like it was incredible, but, um, the, the big challenge is, of course, like I just after basically was right after arriving in in Alaska, I already had the idea of doing this trip, which I which the, the idea I founded with um, with Jake. And because he also he, he always talked about that and somehow like, OK, why? Let's do it. Let's do it together. And and then he never he never did it. All the other people that wanted to do it with me never did it. So I ended up doing it alone. But um it didn't matter it was but like you you think of an idea like this and and obviously with a as a pilot who just flew a little bit in austria had just got his private pilot license and flew in alaska where you don't even need a transponder or anything or talk on the radio like nothing basically you can do whatever you want you can really focus on flying if you if if then you come up with that idea okay i have 14 countries to cross there are like two like 12 of them or yeah 12 of them are third world countries basically mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh so so only that that idea of crossing all those borders and the idea of okay they they all it's only spanish from mexico on and um how do i get fuel how do i you can make it i could i made a i tried to make lists in the beginning and the lists were just like ridiculous endless yeah. so I figured out at some point, okay, that's not the way to go. This is not, it's not going to work that I'm going to check all those points and be ready for everything that comes along like this. Um, the only way that I could do that is like, um, to trust that, uh, trust myself in general, like add a little bit of trust, but uh, get it down to, I think it was four points or five points. And those four or five points. Um, when we, when I tell you all those points, um, I will know exactly how many it were, but it, that's, that's the, I wrote them down on a piece of paper. I still have it here. And I thought, okay, if I, if I can check all those points, um, I can just go and do it. It, it will not be a problem. Okay. And let's have them. <laughs> that sounds exciting. That's an exciting list. <laughs> yeah, it was a super exciting list, but on the other hand, it was not, it was a very, very obvious list. You know, first of all, uh, it was about me, myself. I wanted to, to know that I'm ready for this, which meant, okay, I need the right licenses, um, which meant that I need, uh, to do, um, to have a full, um, us license. So, uh, because I only had a European license and, and I had a based on American license, which, which was very complicated. So I wanted to have a, a full, uh, us license. So I did a commercial pilot's license and I knew from other stories that I read that it's very good to have instrument rating. So I said, okay, one point, get the right, get all those ratings. Um, the second point was my airplane had to be ready. Okay. So I put all those like, okay, airplane needs all the right equipment. And, um, 
Uh, third point was, like I said before, it's um, more than half the way, like starting from Mexico on for for 13 countries, only Spanish speaking. So I I knew that I had to be sure that I can manage Spanish uh, radio communication, aviation related. <laughs> so that was that was one point. I I I, I can't. Sp- I, I learned Spanish before, so that wasn't big problem but i wanted to make sure that i'm i'm done with that i'm sure that i can do that and and the fourth point was um a credit card with enough money <laughs> on it to get going <laughs> so, so um i thought okay, that was that was or actually i wanted credit in case the one doesn't work <laughs> but um so you think it's just a list of four points super easy you can easily you can easily prepare four points but um getting the licenses meant for me that i had to go to i went to san diego for almost five months before the trip like starting in january uh no sorry february 2018 I went to San Diego. I did super fast instrument and commercial ratings. Um, then I went to Alaska. I worked every day for a month on my airplane together with Ken to get the airplane ready. And uh, besides that, of course, I tried to find sponsors and um, convince them that this is a cool project. <laughs> Nobody could, of course, imagine how that project should look like and what could be the, the outcome for a sponsor. And like, it's super hard to, to sell something like this um, because it's very complex. It's not a super simple story, like a usual project. Okay. I'm going to go to this mountain. I'm going to climb a route, this special route, and then I'm going to fly down super simple. But this is like, in- includes 50 simple projects in one big project that is already not simple or something like this. <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was, Hard to hard to sell for sure, and then <clears throat> and then the other thing I did I went to in in January 2018 I went to Argentina to and to, to meet Andy for the first time. Um, we also I also decided that this would be the, the the final goal to reach his airport after reaching uh, Ushuaia, and I also flew there in one of his planes and just realized okay my Spanish is good enough to um, be able to fly there. So yeah, so by by exactly, I think it was the 20th of June and the plan was to leave on the 21st. I was, no, it was the 22nd because we left on the 22nd. Um, I was ready with those four points. <laughs> wow, it's pretty tight timing. <laughs> so when yeah. you, you know, what was the, I think people have a perception of what would be, you know, like what was the thing that made you bang your head against the wall? What was either the scariest or the, just the the toughest part of the whole trip? Looking at it afterwards now, um, if, if I see the whole project, it definitely was this, the idea of doing this as a project, which is, which means to me that I'm, I'm selling the content and I'm, I don't have the money to do that. I never had it. I'm just a paragliding pilot. I always say, um, and this was definitely the, ba- the, the, the biggest challenge to somehow make it happen, you know, like to, to realize 
this dream without having any money, basically, <laughs> which sounds super strange. But uh, um, I had two points on the trip uh, where I, I really had no money anymore. Um, the one was at the border to Canada already. Um, and then the second time was in the halfway down Chile. And both times, um, I knew that, okay, I'm, I got so far that, and I knew that I had to get going and had to get that far to convince possible sponsors to trust in that project and let me get, keep going, you know? Um, it was really, really stressful. Like thinking of this, like just, just doing the whole trip without that stress in the back of my, of my head. Um, I think it would have been a different experience, very, and probably easier. But on the other hand, you never know how, how you would have done it. If you would have done it without this like pressure that, that pushes. Did you have any, yeah, I mean, I think we could make a whole show out of just that side of it. That that's that's tough, and uh, maybe at the end here we'll talk about how how that's turned out, or maybe how it might turn out. But did you have any, you know, truly scary experiences either mechanically with the plane or with any officials or landing in a place that you shouldn't have? Any kind of like, oh God, this this could be this could be the end. <laughs> um. I have a ten. I have this strange tendency to always forget those moments. <laughs> if you ask me if XRP was scary at any time in the four times I already did it, I would tell you no. There was never anything scary, <laughs> which is not true. <laughs> but um, so in that project, probably um, it's a little bit the same. But but uh, thinking of it, I was super nervous it was not dangerous at all but i was extremely nervous before crossing the border to mexico because um like all everybody almost like 99 percent of the people i talked to in the u.s said okay if you fly to mexico it's it's gonna be the end you know the mexicans are really strange and they're gonna burn down your plane and it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna be impossible to fly to mexico and you know um and then actually i went to mexico and it was the best part of the trip like i love mexico yeah it's just, mexico is awesome still my favorite country it was before but but in that time i really got nervous and i i just didn't know what's going on and i pushed back the the, the day of finally crossing the border a lot of times but in the end we did it it was all good um we flew also past all this area where there's a lot of drug um prob like how do you say drug traffic yeah, um okay. going on it was also a little bit weird we landed at, at one airport where um there was like <laughs> strange big like mercedes with dark um windows and then lots of police cars following it, like the dad went in and out of the airport and we were just there parked with a little plane, <laughs> the perfect, perfect drug smuggling plane, plane probably. <laughs> it was weird, but we just stopped for, for getting fuel. Um, and, and then further, further down, uh, one time that comes to my mind i have i have a map in front of me which is good uh it helps me a little bit um we went to guatemala city guatemala city is um pretty high 
Uh, the airport is pretty high. I think it's at six, 7,000 feet or something. And um, I wanted to go directly to Costa Rica to uh, avoid um, two countries, El Salvador and uh, Nicaragua, because they are not uh, super safe. So I wanted to fly right over those countries. And the combination of having a super heavy airplane with lots of fuel on and um, the high altitude uh, airport and <laughs> the the high um, temperature uh, we took off on this huge like airport which um yeah if 747 lands there is like the main airport of guatemala city and we took off um not not towards the sea but towards the mountains because that's was the only where the wind came from and i took off and i flew and flew and i didn't climb and i didn't climb at all and it's like oh my god <laughs> we're just not climbing and then there's the big the big high-rising um um buildings of guatemala city in the front of the airport to the right and we we're basically just flying through <laughs> through the <laughs> through that little plane <laughs> At some point, the, the guy, uh, the person on the the controller on the tower says, "Okay, now now you should really climb." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm climbing. <laughs> I'm climbing slowly." Uh, well, in the end, it was all good. Um, it worked out just fine. But it was a uh, it was very different than planned because we wanted to take off at six in the morning, and because of fog and and uh, officials that wanted us to change one letter letter um on the on that paperwork we it took me it took us almost until nine we until we could leave the airport so temperatures were higher and winds changed and so yeah things like that that was a little scary but um i got better at these things and uh yeah was just one of those experiences um Moving on from there, we we crossed uh, the um, to Ecuador and like in general, like this is an area where there's a lot of humidity. Um, Central America, lots of low clouds. Um, sometimes we, I had to fly like just <laughs> thinking of like now I get this uh, story. We we landed on the Atlantic side only one time, and that was in Panama, and then we had to cross to Panama City. Um, crossing to the Pacific side again and, uh, the clouds looked, the weather looked okay when we took off. Um, and then it got lower and lower and we were basically like almost skimming the wheels on the, on the ocean already because the clouds and the rain, everything was so low. And then at some point I had to cross to the other side um, of the mountains and a big, pretty big mountain. So from zero, I just climbed straight up to more than 10,000 feet, which is pretty high for that plane to climb over the mountains and then just flew slalom through the, through the Kulumundos cloud and then back down on the other side. So, but that was just the first, a first little taste of, of what was to come with clouds and mountain flying, um, further on. But that was also very impressive flight. And then of course, flying over the Panama canal and landing in Panama city was pretty impressive. 
Yeah, that's an amazing part of the world. Going through the Panama Canal was one of the highlights of going around the world. That is a, that's an impressive feature. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. The howler monkeys. And... Like, and my plan was to fly along the Panama Canal from. That's why I went to the Atlantic side, and I mm. wanted to fly down the coast and then follow the Panama Canal to the Pacific again. Um, but because of that weather, I couldn't do it. But yeah, that somehow that canal has some um, has something interesting to it i don't know something yeah, it's, mystical <laughs> it's it's not what you imagine either i mean it's really wild even though there's this huge canal and big ships going through there and you're you know and, and yet you're in you're in the middle of the jungle it's it's it's, a, it's an interesting mm-hmm. part of the world what about getting through the darien gap is that not that big a deal with a bush plane you just fly across because that was always one of these things that i always wanted to do by foot you know it was a but it's, you know, there's been some pretty interesting stories about getting through that part of the world. You know, they've never connected that highway because of the drug trafficking. And so it's, you know, it's pretty wild through there. Yeah, it was um, planning wise about the flight. It was definitely the most challenging um, and exciting. Well, we together with flying uh, down in Patagonia, this was the most exciting uh, part because we were we were looking at the weather for two weeks constantly every day and the, the big uh, thunderstorms just moved from the west to the east over that section and um, so I had to find that one little moment that when I, when I took off in the morning when I take off in the morning um, the cloud just moves away far enough into the into the land into Colombia so I can fly through that one and the next one that is already out in the ocean <laughs> and then uh, make it down to to colombia so that and that in combination with knowing that there is just nothing except the deepest jungle underneath you uh, was like you said very very exciting very very exciting and that is a six hour flight in that um, small plane from panama city to cali colombia um, which made it even more exciting. Oh yeah, you got to make it. <laughs> you, gotta, you definitely got to make it. And make if you, it. You, you you can't turn around. You you can't land anywhere. You the mountains are super high. Um, they even when we when we arrived in in Cali, <laughs> it was super super exciting. I have a cool photo of of me standing next to the next to the little plane, and I'm surrounded <clears throat> by a group of ten people from um, migration, military, police, um, customs. <laughs> like, they were all already, what the hell? Is going on? <laughs> they were already waiting for us because um, they they made something that is called a Código Estrella. So like a star code or something they they put on us because we were gone from radar and uh, radio contact for more than four hours flying along the coast of, of Colombia. Oh in a small man, plane. good thing you didn't get shot down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was so weird because of course I couldn't fly high enough to be over those high mountains because they're pretty high. And then the weather also was super strange and, was super cloudy and rainy and so they they really got worried that we are really bad people but we landed and we're like yeah cool that you're coming out we don't have to go in and see each other 
see everybody <laughs> see all those uh, offices they all came to see us wow. <laughs> probably probably not something you'd get away with in afghanistan or something that's that's amazing i mean for sure no. you look like bad people if you're you know if i was sitting in an office and track kind of tracking you because you couldn't really track you, you'd be like okay these guys are up to, up to no good <laughs> yes it's um but it's all uh, uh, how you, uh, your mental thing, sure. and that, like how you approach the situation. If you if you know that you you didn't do, do anything wrong, you just know it's gonna take forever. If you arrive, okay, that's gonna be fine. You just take it easy, and pff, things are gonna work out. You know, they can't they can't really do anything to you. I mean, yeah. And what what if you know what if. If they say, okay, they take away away your plan, your your airplane, or my airplane. Well, then it's part of the story, and I can't I can't do anything against it. So, <laughs> the the key was to to stay calm and just like not not get um how do you say like yeah they of course not they can't do anything like jokes with you yeah but still like you have to take it easy and just let them do their work and yeah that's it and how much how much did you i mean because like when you came here you know you got out of the plane and we went for a huge flight and uh you know you had all your gear i know that was part of the mission was to do quite a bit of paragliding too how much flying did you get in well in the end a little bit less than i expected honestly um because the the flying was just way more um exciting the flying of the plane was way more challenging than i thought but i flew in a lot of cool places and i mean i flew in every country i flew all those famous places for sure and uh, how many I, I can't tell you the hours but of course if you fall if somebody followed and this was also one point if somebody followed that trip he was like probably like okay he just flew the plane you know that's all he did um that's not true but if you want to make all this distance you just yeah. think of making that distance in a car you also have to spend a lot of time in the car to get to the places mm. where you fly a paraglider so um this is what i what i keep saying um but i flew in Iquique in in Argentina I flew at your place in Mexico in a couple of places in in Costa Rica in in Guatemala I climbed volcanoes um it was full full of full of cool um paragliding moments for sure and mountaineering how do you think the I saw a post recently of you training in in Austria and you were talking about that you know you you feel like the that six month expedition has also really helped you prepare, um, for the next X Alps. How, how do you equate the, the two? Because I, I always tell everybody the story about that time when you came out and you did a food drop for us, uh, when, when Dave and I were stuck, uh, at, at Heart Mountain and you came out with one of Ken's friends and, you know, he's like at six grand and you're at 14 grand and he calls you on the radio and he's like, Paul, what the hell? How did, how did you, how are you up there? And you're like, I'm thermaling. What, you know, come on. And, uh, you know, like your experience with a paraglider obviously has really benefited you as a, as an airplane pilot, but how is it reversed? Cause it sounds like it's also, you've also learned a lot about paragliding from flying your airplane. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
let's start with that. Like, for example, in, in, in Patagonia, there was a lot of wind that we flew through, through really high mountains. And I think if without my knowledge of flying in the mountains with paraglider, I, we probably would have crashed somewhere down there because, uh, it was just incredible. It felt like in the worst wind situation that you couldn't remember with the paraglider, it felt exactly like that. We were, <laughs> we were flying, I don't know, just straight, um, in front of us is there is a, a little ridge. You think it's just a little ridge. You get to the ridge and we just can't make it over the ridge, you know, and I was like, okay, I can, I can do anything. I can only turn around and get uh, altitude again, like in the paraglider and try again. So I go back, <laughs> it goes up like crazy. We're like in the biggest, uh, um, wave kind of phenomenon down there shoots back up to 11, 12,000 feet. And then I turn around to that same little ridge, which is like super small now in front of me and only 10 miles in front of me. And I can't make it again. Like it's, it was just, you can't even imagine how, how I felt like it, I was in the middle of Patagonia. There's just nothing around for hours of flying. And you, you play around with a little ridge trying to make it over it. It was, it's <laughs> really crazy. And I think without that experience of, and that knowledge of, okay, there's always a way that you can use the wind to get somewhere. Um, I would have never made that, that flight down there because, um, that is one thing that, um, if, if, if people are not, um, flying a small airplane themselves, the, the power of a plane like this is very, very limited. I, I think it's the same. I think that the comparison is totally valid between a paraglider and that plane, because the only difference is that that engine is just a constant, um, extra like, uh, glide ratio that you have, you know, in, 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 in calm air, you can climb, but as soon as there's a lot of sink, you will sink even with that engine or not. And, um, and also with that kind of plane, you don't, take off at an, at an airport and just fly straight to the next destination and, and then you always, if there are mountains, you really have to choose your line. You, you have to find thermals to help you be more economic on the way, or at least that's how I always tried to fly. Like you said, in that example before. Um, so in, in general, like overall, I would say this ex experience, those almost 300 hours I spent flying uh, that plane for the mountains, um, was, will help me or helps me climb paraglider as well. Like vice versa. It's the same thing. Um, hours in the air, um, except for maybe jets that are at 20,000, 30,000 feet, um, in the mountains are experience for, for everything. Did you, did you find like, especially, in Patagonia where the terrain is big and complicated and well, just big, it's just huge in Patagonia. Did, did you find that you're, I mean, I don't know, even know if it's something you were able to realize at the time, or maybe now that you've been home, but did you find your kind of global understanding of the weather really increased? Like your, your mountain, like reading the mountain weather really was, was really benefited by, by those experiences? And, and, and if so, can you articulate how? 
the cool thing the cool thing about that that engine that is there like i said before it's just that constant thing that, that pulls a little bit <laughs> a little bit um is that it has one big advantage you can like in normal mountain conditions on a, on a thermal day i i can try things you know i can go to places that i can't go with the paraglider because if i go there i'm probably if it doesn't work i'm just gonna land and that's it mm-hmm. then then i have no other chance with the plane i just go there and see okay well there is a big lee side but it's pretty quiet in the direct lee um and there's even a little bit of lift cool that works <laughs> because mm-hmm. i feel it in the plane and in case it, it wouldn't work i would just turn around and say, okay, well, that didn't work. I better take the other or longer route. Um, so playing around like this in the mountains is, is super cool. Like it, it, it helps a lot. It, it's a, a way to, to learn a lot of things, I think. So it sounds like it, it has impacted how you fly a paraglider. I think so. I mean, um, Wherever I went in in big uh, like Ikike, I went for cross country flying, and then and then also with Andy, um, I flew and I felt like I'm flying better than before. But <laughs> so I didn't feel like okay, well, I didn't fly for a month. I probably don't fly that good anymore. It definitely felt the other way around. I felt mm. like okay, this is super simple for me now. Um, so so I I'm I'm sure I benefited from flying the plane down there in the mountains. That's really cool. Um, This next question is one that I always hated answering, so I'm going to change it a little bit. But people always ask me, "What was the favorite? You know, what was your favorite thing of sailing around the world?" And I was like, "God, you know, I can't. uh, There isn't one thing." (laughs) But what was Magdalena's favorite? If you, if you, you know, without asking her, if you could just guess, or maybe she's already told you. But what do you think her her best experience of that six months was? Wow, that's a super tough question. <laughs> because the other question people ask me all the time. <laughs> I know, but I hate that other question. You're just like, oh, I don't know. It's like it was all good. Yeah, it was all good, but I had to find an answer to it because, I, like I said, nobody's asking it. <laughs> so I would have been prepared. But um, I think for her, it was the whole the whole thing that it's that that is it's possible to to do something like this together with your partner and like go through the ups and downs. And it, um, that's just the overall thing that I think that that stuck to her. Like that's, that's what she says right now that she, that it was super tiring for her, but also like doing something like this, something big and stressful and everyday challenging, um, is what was for her. And she's very like, like that. She, she, she thinks a lot about things and is very, um, quiet a little bit about things like this. Um, so I think that was, that was that thing that, that was really the coolest thing for her, but looking at places, what she thought, uh, was the best I could, I could just open the door and ask her <laughs> probably, <laughs> but she is in the other room. Um, she doesn't. I would have to scream for her. Okay. But, right. uh, no, I think. I think one one thing that was really um, very cool. I, like like you said, like there, there's like you know basically there's so many things that happen. So, so, so I'm starting to think, and then okay, this, this, and this, and this. What I'm gonna? What am I gonna say now? But um, we we both together tried to climb Aconcagua, the highest mountain of North and South America. 
And um, this was also a very, very cool uh, experience for the two of us. And I think also for her, because I remember that moment when we, like I had, I had to obviously hike as slow as I ever hiked on the mountain, <laughs> but uh, I didn't. <laughs> a little different pace than you and, used to. <laughs> Yeah, we had a little different pace, uh, t- um, pace, but that wasn't uh, the goal to climb that mountain fast. It was just the goal to climb that mountain. Um, so it didn't matter how much time we take between the the, the, the camps. But I remember we climbed up to uh, 5,000 meters together. And um, and she's like, they are surrounded by all these ice walls and, and beautiful beautiful area um and he's like wow that's just the the most impressive and beautiful thing i've ever seen and for me who is somebody who loves mountains and i i really want to share it with her for me it was incredibly lucky moment to hear her saying that that she's like wow this is this is now i understand why people go to the mountains more you know so maybe that was the good best moment. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Paul, when you, and, and it's maybe too early to ask this question, because I know you guys are still, you know, you'll be processing this for a long time, but was there any, like, has there been any real shift in who you and Magdalena are as people as a result of the trip? You know, like, has it maybe when you think back to before you started in Alaska and now how has it changed both of you it has definitely changed a lot of things and I'm I'm happy that you're asking this right now because I wanted to say something in general still and I think it it, it's could be even an answer to your question right now um one one thing that I really saw, or maybe it's not the, the perfect answer, but it is it is a very important thing for me, um, and it for sure changed me. Um, we flew all the way from up there to the bottom of South America, very low, like basically never higher than 3,000 feet above the ground, I would say. So, And then we also flew all, only when when the weather was good. So we could always see the ground underneath us. And we were flying in a speed of 150 or 140 kilometers per hour, so 85 miles, around 85 miles all the time. And then you have a lot of time to see the world moving by below you very slow. And um, you can see every detail and you can see how the world changes all the time, slowly. And you get a very, very good impression of how everything is connected and how, in the end, I have to say that how small that world is. Because we flew really on a straight line, basically halfway around the world. Mm. And I can tell you, like, I know exactly how every part of that that way that we did looks like from from above. And it's it's small. It's not very big. And that the world is very small and we are so, so many people running around on that and everybody is in his small little world. And then he, he has enough money. He gets to the, to the chat and flies to, I don't know, from Europe to Thailand <laughs> and he gets out of the chat and he thinks he's in another, in another world, you know, like mm-hmm. completely other world because you get on a, on a big chat and then you, you the only thing you want to um, do is like sleep or whatever and, and make the time go 
um, pass as fast as possible. So you're in that other world. And then you have, you, 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 you never have the chance to realize that there is a connection between those places and it's not super far. It's just like, yeah, it's, it's yeah. not another world. Right. And, <laughs> and, uh, that really, that really is a, it's a very important thought. I think that everybody should, should think and understand that it's super it's a super small world that we have and we have to take care about it like as we take care about our own house or our own place uh, we we don't mess it up we mess around with with so many things in the world because it's you think okay well that's that's in another world that's over there that has nothing to do with me um but it's not like that and this is this is for sure something that changed my my mindset, um, about many things. Um, and also of course people might say, okay, well you, you did this with, with, a with an airplane, with an engine. Okay. This is not the point for me. You know, of course I spend, I, I drive a car. I, I don't know. I take the big airplane as well. I'm not super environmental friendly for sure. <laughs> My footprint is not perfect, but, um, but it's just important to, to understand how, how everything is connected and, and that we're not, we don't have endless worlds only because we jump into a chat and fly to another world. <laughs> yeah. Those, those borders mean nothing, don't they? They, you know, you went 13 different countries that are all separated by these borders, but they're not, they don't separate us. They don't separate the people, the nature, the, the anything. It's, it's all, we're all part of one, that one world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, this is very, this is something that, that, um, changed both of us for sure. We, we have, uh, I mean, we, I can say, okay, I'm doing something very different right now, but once you change your mindset, you're also changing what you're doing. So yeah, back to your question. We, we changed. <laughs> That's nice. I like that. Um, I got to ask this one. It's an easy one, but I imagine it's not such an easy answer. Um, you know, it, what next your, your, your planes down at Andes. Um, you know, for me, there was a real delineation, like at the end of the sailing, it was like, I'm done. I'm, I, I'm done with that. I mean, I still love the ocean. I still love sailing, but it was time to move on. Is it time to move on or you've got other big bush plane projects? Well, for me, um, starting to fly airplanes was, was, uh, something that I needed as a big, big foreign distance, um, goal to, to also be motivated for XRPs, you know, for example, mm. I just needed something. When I first took part in the XRPs in 2011, um, after that I was like, okay, well, that's done for me. You know, I did, I took part in this, um, this is what I wanted. Um, and I needed something that, that motivates me, motivates me to, to work on for the future. And part of that way to that big, big goal for some point in the future, I, I, I can't even tell you when I want to reach it and also what exactly it is. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. the fun thing about it. But anyway, um, Red Bull excerpts, all those par uh, times I took part and that I'm still taking part, um, is part that way and also this project was was part of that development and um 
this is just it was just one step i i have no like exact i can't even tell you right now exactly what's my next bush plane project um i just know that that i will not stop flying airplanes and not stop flying paragraphs <laughs> only because i did that um one thing one thing that i'm doing right now is i i found a place in alaska in the wranglers national park that I want to buy or that I'm already part part owner owner of it and I want to build up something like a like a, a cool base base camp for people who are interested in in flying bush planes in getting to know Alaska you know go paragliding go explore more and um, this is something that motivates me also for the future to like show to show that place to more people and like share that experience if that's if that's in McCarthy, can we uh, privately have a talk about that? <laughs> yeah, it, that is, place, it is in McCarthy. Oh, actually. It's, oh, uh, it's, it's five five minutes flight from five minutes flight from McCarthy, but you can also take a four wheeler, uh, half an hour, and you're in the center of McCarthy, and mm. it's such a cool. It's incredible. Yeah, that's I'll, a, I'll show you. That's a neat part of the world. Cool. Well, we'll we have we have much to discuss there. That's neat. So so the so the 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 short term future is the plane will come back to Alaska. Yeah, it took me a while to decide on that. First, I wanted to sell it. First, I wanted to do this and that, whatever, fly it back. But um, now I'm I have decided that I'm just gonna bring it back to Alaska because it's an Alaskan bush plane and I like Alaska and I'm going to have a lot of fun there with this plane. So I'm going to send it back. Mm -hmm. I recently posted a video on my Facebook channel, um, flying through a Canyon and touching the water. Amazing. And it got more than a million views right now. Whoa. Um, yeah, I totally got viral. Like it's incredible. But the problem is like, People like for, for bush pilots, for all those pilots is super normal, but the comments on that video, like it got viral. So it, 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 it reached people that had no idea of this. They got super scared. They're like, he's going to die tomorrow. This is going to be his last flight. He has like, it's going to be, what if, what if he has other traffic coming for the other side? <laughs> like, super stupid. Like. What if there is a, what if there's a downdraft? What if, what if, what if, what if like, ah, I, I can't even, I can't even look at it anymore at the comments because it's just, it's just making me so crazy. Like there's so people can be so, so weird. This is not a super dangerous stunt. I mean, it looks crazy and there are always risks, but there are also risks if I fly across Alaska on my own low you know yeah. like i was i was close uh, close to taking that video down again but i mean it's stupid why should i take that video down oh. i don't do anything anything bad like oh. really nothing like there's no person around i'm not harming anybody i'm just i'm doing the same thing that it that it did a hundred times in alaska every day i did it like ken says why would you fly anything higher than that <laughs> the only big difference that there is a canyon okay that made it a little bit more scary but like yeah so i thought okay why should i care about it but it has almost 2000 commands so wow. you don't want to want to start looking at it no 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 that's just just a waste of time wow that's that's exciting that was a cool video so that was, that was pretty exciting 
Paul, last last question. We can't can't let you go without asking about the X Alps. This is your fifth one. Um, you changing anything? I mean, other than you, you've just had this big, you know, six month expedition in the bush plane, and that was obviously a lot of training. But any different approach? Because we, we talked about this a bit on the last show. Um, but you know, you're you're a little bit older. You're a little more mature. You've got four behind you. Um, how, how are you approaching the next four months? Any differently than you have in the past? Yeah, it is. It is actually different. Um, so far, uh, I did it four times. Like you said, I, I was third three times. I was sometimes fighting in the, even more in front than the third place in the end. I was third. Um, so, and I'm not going to do this forever. Exarps. Uh, I'm not going to say right now that this is going to be the last one, but it might be the last one that I'm doing. Um, so the only thing like for the mindset that, that changes for the mindset right now is that the only thing I really want to do is win it. (laughs) So, because I was hurt already a couple of times, um, if I'm, if I'm worse than that, it's also okay, but the goal should be to, to really be in front. And, and that's how I'm preparing right now as well. I'm just trying to think of all the, all the experiences that I had of, of all the experience, how I can use it and train very professionally and just be really ready for the race. I mean, you know, yourself, you can never know how it's going to go, but, uh, you can do your very best to prepare. And, um, that mindset for sure helps me to, to do a good job right now in the next four months. Hmm. Paul, thank you. Uh, that was a super treat. I just, uh, I was fascinated following it. Uh, you did, you guys did a really good job documenting it. I'm sure there'll be, you know, a, a longer version of that at some point, but, um, I, we'll have all the links to that in the show notes. For those of you who are listening, go check out the footage and the pictures. It's just unbelievable, but, uh, congratulations on completing such an epic project. And, uh, See you here in a little bit Thanks for the X Alps and 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 good luck. I, I look forward to uh, to racing with you again. I'm very happy to hear to hear those words from you because feedback is very different. You know, it was it was a very controversial project at some points for me as well. Hmm. Um, for the outside world, feedback from the outside for me myself it was a dream. <laughs> Just I'm I'm self self confident enough to say that. Um, but it's good to hear. It's just good to hear that feedback and, um, I'm happy if people check it out. I'm going to, um, finish my YouTube series about it pretty soon. I did it so far. It's online until Mexico, which is already quite exciting, but, uh, I didn't get the time to do all that, to finish all that up, but that's a way to really get a good impression of, of how we traveled and how we, how we adventured the last half year, cool. my YouTube channel. Cool. Yeah. Well, we'll have all the links to that in the show notes. Hey, that, that I, I do have to ask you one more question then, cause that just made me think of it. Um, you, you did these amazing vlogs, uh, for the last X Alps. Will you do that again? And, and do you feel like that doesn't really get in the way of, of your performance? Um, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that again. Uh, it was, it was great for the last time. It took, uh, it even took some pressure off, off me. Mm. <laughs> uh, last time it was like, uh, okay, I'm, I, I'm at least going to do my work very well besides, um, the, the, the performance of during the X last year, both went pretty good. 
Um, this year, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm, I also think that maybe many pilots are thinking about it. So many other people are maybe doing it. Um, I'm for sure not gonna disappoint my followers and those who are expecting, um, to hear what I'm experiencing during the race, but it's not going to be in the, in the way of a vlog like last time. Mm. Mm. Cool. Well, okay. Disappointed. Yes. No, they were great. I just, I, I really enjoyed doing those. And you know, when you came here and gave that talk, it was, it was fun digging back through those and, and putting together that talk that we did for you with you. And that was, that was, that was really fun. I think it's, um, I, I think it's a race that, you know, when you, when you're following on live tracking and everything, it, it really, which is great. And they do a fantastic job of that, but it misses so much and, uh, you know, that misses kind of the meat and potatoes of the whole race and what's going on behind the scenes. And that was really nice to see with the vlog. And I've, I've often just wondered, you know, on the one hand, I can see your point that it, it helps and that it, it, it kind of takes your mind off being serious and that's what we need to do to fly well. And that, you know, that's good. It's a, it's probably a nice distraction. Um, and at the same time, it's also, you know, something you've, you've got to do. So I, I wanted to see what you thought about, about that. Cause I, I, you know, I know it's a lot of work, but. Yeah, it was a lot of work. I mean, I had one person that was with me only editing those videos. Um, besides that, I constantly had to think about the, the taking the camera with me, explaining all the time what I'm doing, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So, so I decided for myself not to do it in that way, but there's going to be this almost the same kind of information, um, for people who are following me. Um, I'm just gonna have a little bit different way to do it. Different approach. Cool. Well, Paul, I've taken up plenty of your time. Uh, I, again, super appreciate it. Thank you so much. And, uh, we'll see you here pretty shortly in Salzburg. Yeah. When are you coming? Uh, May 20th. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Let's do something together. Thanks for having me on your show again. Cool. See you soon. See ya. I hope you enjoyed that. Always fun to sit down with these great pilots in different parts of the world. Super inspiring. As always, all we ask for is a buck a show. If you're getting something out of the cloud-based mayhem, there are many ways you can support it, either financially uh, through PayPal and soon to be just directly through our website. We'll have details of that up pretty soon. Uh, but if you can't support us financially, we totally understand this will remain free as long as we can do it. Uh, but you can support it in many other ways. You can give us on a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you listen to your podcast. That really goes a long ways. Uh, you can blog about it on your own blog. You can uh, post about it on social media, share it with your friends, talk about it on the way to launch. I know many, many of you are doing that. I really appreciate it. And another way you can support us is through our store. We've just got a whole new load of awesome Patagonia t-shirts for men and women and a whole new box of super styly uh, trucker hats by recaps each one is totally unique uh, got a whole bunch more colors that seem to be more in favor uh, so go to cloudbasedmayhem.com click on the store link and uh, get some cool swag that's another great way to support the show um, but yeah get behind us you know we're doing this directly just through you instead of sponsors because I just can't stand having that whole sponsor thing at the top of the show and I want you to know that it's an authentic conversation and it's just opinions and they're not being skewed by advertising dollars which I think is a pretty toxic uh, thing that's happening going on right now globally with all the stuff going on with Facebook and, and others so 
Anyway, we'd like to do it direct. We appreciate your support, and we'll see you on the next one. Cheers. Cheers.